You're listening to episode 309 of the Room to Grow podcast. I'm Emily Goff, a human connection coach, speaker, and mental health advocate with an insatiable sense of curiosity and adventure, always asking more questions and using the power of stories to teach, learn, and grow. It's about allowing for room to grow, and this podcast focuses on three main pillars, human connection, personal growth, and freedom. We cover topics like relationships and cultivating genuine supportive connections with ourselves and others, speaking your truth, shattering personal barriers, radical self-acceptance, and courageously leaning into your skill sets. Whether it's a solo episode or bringing on highly curated guests with incredible stories, experiences, and expertise to share, we're leaning in and taking the entire idea of growth to the next level, all while still covering the uncomfortable topics that many of us like to avoid. There's always more room to grow. Let's do this. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. Emily here. And before I introduce you to today's very special guest, Coop Blackson, I wanted to remind you that the doors are now open for my four-week group coaching program, Becoming You. And you have no idea how many times I had to re-record that because I kept tripping over the words group coaching. (laughs) Anyway... I wanted to let you know that you can now register. We start on Tuesday, May 3rd, and this is for anyone who identifies as a woman if you are looking to bring more joy into your life and to cultivate stronger, more fulfilling relationships and to connect to yourself in ways that you've never experienced. So this is my second time running it, and I was so thrilled with how things went the first time around. I've made a bunch of changes to make it even better, tweaked a few things with all the amazing feedback that I got. I'm so excited to bring this to you. And ultimately, this is about cultivating a sense of home from within and learning to nourish yourself in ways that you've never experienced before so that you can show up in all the other areas of your life with confidence, clarity, and courage. So if that sounds like you, or if that sounds like somebody you know, jump over to the link in the in the show notes or go over to roomtogrowpodcast.com. You can also reach out to me on Instagram at Emily Goff Coach, and I am happy to answer any questions. Okay, let's get started with Coot. Welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. And this is another very, very special guest episode with Coot Blackson. Coot was such an amazing guest. We had such a great time, so many laughs. I learned a ton from him and he, I, I read um, his books in preparation for this interview too, and they were just really, really beautifully done. So Coot is a beloved inspirational speaker and transformational teacher. And his mission is to awake and inspire people across the planet to access inner freedom, live authentically, and fulfill their true life's purpose. Coot has a really, really cool backstory, just an incredible backstory. And some we got into a lot in this episode, but one of the things that we got into the most was learning to trust the universe. Because we hear this a lot, right? I even talk about this on this podcast, about trusting the universe. Well, what does that even mean? Like, how do we do this? How do we go about it? And what is the result of trusting the universe? Coot really breaks that down for us. And he talks to us about finding the delicate balance between control versus taking action. And the, the balance between flow and surrender and, and all of these different aspects that all come into play here. He talks to us about how many miracles can happen when we step out of our own way. And he shares some incredible and totally astonishing personal stories around this too that you have to listen to. It's just amazing. He talks to us about the limited expectations that we place on love that hurt us. And he even gets into what he calls rejection training, which I thought was really cool, about 
getting as many no's as possible under your belt, basically, so that everything actually gets a little bit easier. And, and then the, the rejection starts to flow off your back a little bit more, which allows you to take the kind of inspired action that will get you to where you're going. So such a great conversation. I can't wait for you to hear this one. Make sure to go check him out and all of the work that he's doing. And let's get started. Coot, I am thrilled to get to know you. And actually, I, I want to hear a little bit about you first. And then I want to, to share a story about how this sort of came about and the timing of your team reaching out to me. So <laughs> tell us, nice. that because we're talking about surrender and trusting the universe, I think that that will tie in quite well. So tell us a little bit about you, um, not only what you do, but really who, who are you? Like who is Coot at, like, at your core? Uh, who am I? I mean, that is the question, right? Who am it I? It is That's the question. I the think existential we'll question. <laughs> the big question. The big, let's start. Let's start with the big one. Who That's am right. I? Um, who am I? Where do I want to go with that? You know. Uh, I didn't want to make this am... easy for you. <laughs> no, I love it. I'm. I'm a soul. I'm a being. Um, you know. Look, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London. I live in Los Angeles, but also Mexico and other and and other parts of the world. And so, uh, I feel as though, on a human level, I'm a citizen of the world. And growing up in different cultures, I uh, never felt like I was from one place. I always felt like I was from everywhere. And people would ask me, are you Ghanaian from father's side where I was born? Are you Japanese? And where my mother's from, are you British? And, and so I felt, if anything, I was just a soul. And the soul had no passport. And the soul was beyond race and color and religion and creed and conditioning. And so I always had this feeling that I'm from everywhere and I'm from nowhere and I'm, I'm, I'm part of everyone. And so there was always that feeling that I had. And I feel that to this day, like the world is my home. And so that's something I really <clears throat> love feeling this kind of connectedness with, with where, wherever I go, feeling the kinship and the shared being that we all have. And, and, you know, in terms of a bit about my background also, just on a human level, um, as a young boy, I always felt this very, strong sense of well first I was a very empathic kid and so I would feel people's pain and suffering very deeply and there was a part of me that just wanted to alleviate suffering in some way I didn't know what that would look like and um, there was always a, a deep questioning inquisitive questioning uh, part of me the sense of I grew up around folks that had a lot of money in my school got a scholarship to a very prestigious school you know president's sons prime minister's sons you know wealthy families kids and they had every reason to be happy but were often miserable and then I grew up around a lot of people in my own reality my own family that didn't have very much really yet were fulfilled and so this triggered a lot of questioning from, from a very young age the sense of well how does this make sense and what's the purpose of life and why are we here and and why are they not happy and why are they happy and, and, and where do we, and, you know, where do I come from? And so for me, uh, it started me down a quest at a young age. And I'll never, one, one thing that really impacted my life was I was a chubby kid and I was lost in the crowd. And I remember seeing, I must've been around age eight. And I remember seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor and she picks up the sand that this man walks on. She couldn't walk, and I was the only one seeing her on the floor. Everyone was, was following this person. And she picks up the sand, this man walks and wipes on her face and stands up. 
And so you could call this a miracle. And I didn't think anything of it. I'm eight years old thinking, okay, this is just what's happening. And so week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear and people stand up out of wheelchairs. And so the same man who sent she picked up was my father. And, and, he, and he would look at someone in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? Stand up. Or some, somebody coming with crutches and say, throw your crutches away, you know, and put his hands on them or blind people would see. And so all kinds of miracles. He was called the miracle man of Africa, built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, huge church in London, about 5,000 people every Sunday and was the, a spiritual sort of leader, guide to presidents and in Africa and prime ministers and heads of state. And so I grew up in this environment. And when I was age eight, uh, being more interested in getting into trouble and playing soccer with my friends, to be honest, in church or spirituality or anything, uh, my father threw me in the front row, threw me on stage and said, my son is going to speak. And that really began my speaking career in a certain way. And uh, something happened to me in that moment as a young boy where just stuff came out that I don't really remember where it came from. And when I was 14, I was ordained as a minister. Now, this was a little unexpected, but my father all of a sudden announces, you know, the defining moments in one's life. But my father suddenly announces, my son is taking over my ministry. He's my successor. I'm thinking, nobody spoke to me about this situation. <laughs> I am. And I was a little pissed off, a little mad, a little, a little confused. But I was, I knew in that moment that that wasn't my path. I knew in that, that moment, this is not why I was born. I knew in that moment. I wanted to help people, but not through the structure of church or religion or organization in some way. And so my heart sank. I'll never forget being on stage. My heart sinks knowing, oh shit, this is, this is not right. This is not, this is not why I'm here. And you know, that sinking feeling because I love my dad. He was iconic to me and, and, and my hero. And so I didn't say anything. I went along with it, became ordained, went through a whole ceremony, started serving people. But in my heart for four years, there was a deep turmoil and conflict. And I went through questioning and depression and confusion. And I was too afraid to speak my truth. I was too afraid to tell him how I felt. My fear was if I really dared to be myself, if I really dared to speak my truth, if I really dared to, to tell him how I feel, I'm going to lose him. I'm going to lose his love. I'm going to be outcast. I'm going to be by myself. And so I said nothing. And when I turned 18, and during this time, I started to devour, you know, hundreds of books in the, in the field of personal growth and spirituality. You were talking like the Eastern mystics of Krishnamurti and Ramana Maharishi, Maharishi Meshyogi to, you know, Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay, you know, those sort of Western folks and, and everything in between. And this was my passion. This was my life. And so I felt this deep guidance from around 1415. I wanted to come to America because the folks I'd read about, Jack Kenfield, Mark Victor Hansen, they were in inspiring people in seminar rooms, not through the church or, or let's say religion. And so this was an epiphany to me. And when I was 18, I had to make a decision. I decided not to go to university. I felt something in my soul calling me to come to the US, specifically Los Angeles and Southern California, because this is where all of the self-help authors seem to be. And uh, I wanted to come and meet them. And 
you know, this, this, this was the calling and had no idea how I was going to make it here or come here, but something in my soul was pulling me. And I think many times we receive a soul guidance that doesn't make sense. We receive a soul guidance and have no idea. And I always say it's so important to, to trust it and you don't need to really know where you're going often to get to where you need to be. And so I just being a little innocent, naive, just trusted it and said, yes, but I was terrified. And I looked into my future and I saw that I could follow the expected path, which was what my father wanted and what the community wanted. But I projected age 20, age 30, age 40, age 50, that I would be, I could feel the pain of betraying my soul. And it felt so painful in that moment that I decided I was going to speak to my father, have a conversation and leave. And I really made peace with that. It was a, it was a big moment for me. Um, and at 18, I had a defining conversation and looked my father in the eyes, trembling, by the way, and said, I'm not taking over. And we didn't speak for two years. Uh, heartbreaking for me, because uh, it wasn't just me owning my power or, or honoring myself. It was the feeling of betraying my father and breaking his heart. And that was so painful, you know. And, and so we didn't speak for two years. And... I felt so lost and so, shall we say, alone that I said a prayer to God. I said, universe, you've given me this vision, a vision to inspire people, a vision to inspire lives, a vision I wanted to write books and inspire people and seminars. And yet I have no idea how the hell I'm going to do it. Like you just dropped me in the freaking desert, you know? And I said, if all of the stuff that I've read, this spiritual stuff is real, I need to know that it works right now. If, you know, you read about follow your soul and the universe aligns, I'm like, if it's real, this shit needs to work right now because I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. And I think it was a few days later, I was in, I was in a library of my school, sitting there wondering what now? Someone hands me a magazine called The Economist. I look in the back of the magazine, it says the American government's giving away 55,000 green cards in the green card lottery. That I felt chills in my body. Cut a long story short, I, I applied through this law firm. I entered. Uh, I was told, unless you hear back by September the 18th, then move on with your life. September the 18th came. I didn't hear back now. I'm more pissed off. And I went to sleep, determined to come to the US illegally. I'm like, I don't care. And that night, I got a phone call from the law firm that said, you want a green card? And I was shocked and couldn't believe it and over, you know, just overjoyed. And in the midst of my celebration, I heard a voice that said, did you not believe? You knew you were going to win. Why, why did you not have faith? Like, why did you lose faith? You knew in your heart that this was going to happen. And that moment, I've never forgotten, even when I came to the US, like, there's an intelligence that is guiding us. There's something that's leading us all, functioning us all, you know, supporting us all. And I always think back to the moment whenever I felt like giving up when I came to the US and came to the US, two suitcases, $800, you know, one in the country, showed up in Los Angeles and began my journey and went, you know, went and found teachers, went and found all of the authors I'd read about, met with some of them, knocked on their doors, knocked on their houses, harassed some of them, you know, and, and just began my journey and, and, and traveled the world, went to India, uh, Thailand, China, Peru, just in a quest for answers. And, and uh, years later, here I am, you know, writing, sharing, uh, inspiring in some way. So that's a bit of my journey. 
What a beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing. It's, you know, it's really interesting, um, not only the, the trust uh, of the inner voice, but also just really paying attention to your own sense of curiosity and following that. Because I think that that's the piece that a lot of people aren't sure about. They're like, okay, well, I can, I can trust the big vision, but what steps do I need to take? How do I even start to hear the voice? And in, in my experience, I'd love to hear your take on this. A lot of that is just not only following the inner voice, but following what, what makes you most curious. And that tends to sort of illuminate the path a little bit at a time as you continue to move farther down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think there's this idea that you have to have it all planned out, have to have this vision, have to have it figured out, have to have the strategy, the plan, the, the intention and, 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 and sort of project it into the future. And you, you, like, you've got to know where you're going. And, I'm, and, and I found sometimes even the thing, the, 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 the idea or the, the, the idea that we do know where we're going is often a freaking illusion. <laughs> I mean, we think we know where we're going, but how often have you thought you thought, have you thought you knew what something was only to realize it has nothing like what you thought. How often have we thought we knew where we were going and we ended up somewhere completely different, maybe better, maybe more amazing. And so um, there's something profound for me as I've gone deeper in my journey, giving up the need to know, the need to constantly understand. Uh, and I think the more we can begin to embrace the unknown, truly embrace the unknown, because knowing really is an illusion. It gives us the comfort but really, we don't freaking know. We don't have a clue, you know? And, and so I think the more we can just embrace the unknown and, and, and curiosity, you mentioned that word. To me, that is the key when it comes to living and surrender. It's just being curious. Curiosity is the openness. Because even the mechanism that we use to, to know something, which is the mind, it's our, 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 our identity, the ego, in and of itself is limited. You know, it's limited to a certain perspective that is based on a certain level of conditioning from childhood and parents, et cetera, et cetera. And so this perspective, this prism through which we're perceiving and trying to interpret life can only interpret a moment or a situation and make meaning from something based on our current level of consciousness and evolution. So we're not able to see the whole picture, even if we think we know. We're not able to see the infinite possibilities and the multidimensional realities that are happening in a given moment. And so uh, when, we, when we live through the limited lens of what we know or what we think we know, I think in so many ways, we end up limiting life. We end up limiting life because we think, ah, this is what this relationship is and it's gonna be. Then we try to force it, then we get attached. This is what I should be doing. This is what my purpose is. This is, and, and, and Maybe it's more, maybe it's so much bigger than that. And so we get so attached to that. And that attachment I found creates a closure where we're not open. We're not curious because how can you be curious if I already know what this is? How can I be curious if I already know what I'm supposed to be doing rather than the curiosity of, I don't know. Uh, that doesn't mean you don't do an take a step. That doesn't mean you, know, you sit there and do nothing and, and, and abdicate responsibility, but that curious, Curiosity is surrender, where you live in the open-hearted question the, and the availability of, I'm open to life. Okay, this is what I feel. This is my truth. This is my guidance. I'll go in this direction. I'll give it 
without attachment, without force, without control. And I'm open to life showing me more. I'm open to life showing me what I can't see. I'm open to life showing me a different way, a higher way, a better way. I'm open to, to allowing life to reveal itself to me and show me. Am I open to allowing myself to be, to let life lead me? To me, that is freedom. That is, is that's surrender, you know? And I think that's, that's the invitation, yeah. I'm getting the visualization of uh, that old saying of like a closed fist versus open palm. And, yes. and the difference that, that that can make, because when we're, we can't receive anything when we're not open to receiving it. And there is a very, there's, there's an energetic shift that happens when you become more open to the possibilities. And actually something else too, because I, I, I read uh, your book, your latest book, because you've written, you've written two different books, but sure. your latest one, The Magic of Surrender, and it was beautiful. It was so well done. And one of the, I, I made a lot of notes, but one of the things that I, I noted was when you went to India and you went to see the man on the mountain and he <laughs> said to you, if you think you can screw up life's plan, rest assured, you are not that powerful. Yeah. And I want to talk to you about that because I think that's so, it is so profound because, and yet it's also, how do we balance the idea of the practice of fully stepping into our own personal power with the realization that we are also simultaneously incredibly insignificant? Yeah, I think it is a paradox. You know, I think mm -hmm. we live in a world of infinitely, infinitely valid, but simultaneously contradictory realities inherent in the nature of life. Yes. And the freedom is in the paradox, which is you show up and do your best and do everything you can, you know, but also live with that openness simultaneously. And so it's, it's full involvement and non-attachment at the same time. You know, it's, it's you give every, and, and here's what I think happens. It's when you give everything you've got, it's when you, when you really like, like in a relationship, when you, you fall in love and one way of doing it is, well, surrender is not, well, let's just see what happens. If you, like you give everything, you show up fully, you give everything. I have found that whenever I have in a relationship given 100%, no holding back, if it didn't work, yes, it's painful. Yes, it's heartbreaking in moments, but there is a peace that comes from knowing that I didn't freaking hold anything back. And any time in the past when a relationship hasn't worked out, there's usually some twinge of where there's that pain and twinge and incompletion is, I knew I didn't really give everything. And so there's, it's easier to really let go and surrender when you know there's nothing else you can do. And I think that's the... That's the sort of, I don't know what to call it, but what the intersection is of giving everything and surrendering at the same time, you know, and I think that's, that's the power, that's the freedom, knowing that you gave, you, you gave everything. And, and even around mistakes, mistakes are sort of just a perception of our own ego, you know, because it depends which level of lens that you look through something. Sometimes not getting what you want is just grace. Not getting what you want is a real blessing. Like we're talking about, I'm, I'm kind of talking about relationships, but for those listening, like as you look back, if you look back at your past relationships and maybe look back at like, oh, you met that person. 
and you, like they're the one the one you know your twin flame your soulmate the person you've been waiting for you're gonna have babies with this person oh my god not the one. i can't imagine being with another person this is it they're it forever to the death do us part and then shit happens and you break up and you you kind of and you're heartbroken you're devastated you lose hope you're never going to meet anyone again and then you get over it and now maybe from today's perspective if you look back how often have you thought thank god thank god that relationship didn't work out you know thank god it didn't work out and so sometimes when things don't work out even in the moment we can't see why or we don't understand why or it doesn't make sense uh but there's a reason there's grace and it's often in retrospect that we look back and it, all, all the pieces the puzzle start to connect and we start to understand like oh it wasn't really a failure it wasn't really a screw up i i needed to go through that because in that relationship there was a piece of myself that i needed to see or integrate or i needed to go into that business and fail uh, and then not go according to plan because there was something that I needed to learn. And I think when we can begin to look at life as a journey and a process of evolution and life ultimately as the ultimate school and life as the uh, curriculum for our soul. And if we're so as souls, we incarnate into this human experience ultimately to learn, to grow, to evolve, to find out more, to remember who we really are. And if life is a school, that means every situation, every, every relationship is part of that curriculum. I think when we can start seeing life through that lens, not just on a one dimensional level, this is happening and that's happening or a goal uh, oriented level or a goal line, but when we can start looking at life from the soul perspective, from the soul line, so to speak, not just the goal line, then I think it changes our relationship to life, it changes our relationship to living, it changes our relationship to what happens, it changes our relationship to success and failure and mistakes and, and, and our perception and paradigm around that. And then I think we can start focusing in any given moment on learning the lessons that we need to learn regardless of what we're going through learning the lessons we need to learn regardless of what's happening out here and ultimately what's happening out here is less important not that it's not important but it's less important what's more important is regardless of what's happening am i learning am i growing am i evolving and asking ourselves what was my soul seeking to learn in this situation what was my soul seeking to learn in this relationship? What was my soul seeking to learn? Why did I attract that? And I think when, so long as we are learning and growing and evolving in that way, we begin to uh, graduate. And no matter what happens, that's real success. We're always successful so long as we're learning those lessons, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a beautiful way to reframe success because so often we we peg success as meaning a certain number of dollars in the bank account or a certain amount of time off or, or any of those things. And success is so much bigger than that. And, and I, I really feel like everyone comes into our life to be a teacher in one way or another. And we can talk about this in terms of relationships or, or other ways as well. One of the, the podcasts that I was listening to um, when I was doing research for the interview, you talked about rejection training. And I loved this because it was, you were talking about when you first came to, to the U S and you were taking these jobs and stuff and you were getting no's everywhere, like across the board. Uh -huh. And I think that there's so much power in, in learning 
to to not take the nose personally because you were discussing <laughs> kind of how we make it mean something about us if somebody says no what? to us it's so personal and it can cut us straight to the bone and yeah. it's really hard to move through life that way and we have to learn to change that a little bit so how did how did you end up going about making that switch wow um i don't consciously know because i don't know if it was like a specific thing i did uh but but, but maybe you're referencing because there was a moment in my 20s early 20s when i was pitching a tv show and okay. and 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 that may have been what you're referencing to but when i was pitching this tv show but i was pitching hard i mean people say could i've done everything and they've done two things i mean <laughs> I was tracking, tracking people down. Like I would find Steven Spielberg in the park. I went and found the head of CAA and William Morris. And I went and went, I, 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 try, I stalked the head of CAA outside of a, a yoga class, you know, and found this producer, you know, David Geffen, who looked at me. I'll never forget the day I went up to David Geffen, you know, David Geffen, right? The billionaire, yeah. <laughs> you know, producer. I went up to David Geffen. I found out where he was going to be. And I tracked him down in this event. He looks at me and he's like, it was the coldest, most brutal oh. look, like, 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 what the hell? It was a look that I said, what the hell are you on? Get the hell out of my face. I mean, that was being kind, you know? And he's like, you're asking for a job? I mean, you know, I'm trying to pitch in my vision, you know? And so the level of rejection was, 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 was was intense, you know, and, and and I think for me, what really helped was realizing that it's not personal. They don't know me. They have no idea. Their, their, their perception of me, their reaction to me, their, you know, response to me reveals more about them and their own lens and conditioning than it does about me. Because there were a few people that responded really well, you know, <laughs> as well. Like one time I tracked down this billionaire guy called, this is my early 20s, I was a little crazy, but I tracked down this billionaire guy called Arnon Milshan. Arnon Milshan is a mega producer from Israel, bought Puma, uh, New Regencies, done many movies. You know, I heard he bought Puma and I read about him and I heard he bought Puma and he was launching a kind of a, a TV division. And I'm like, this guy's crazy. He's crazy enough to have a vision to, to, to take to take a risk on this a young kid like me. And he's Israeli and they, they, they have some chutzpah, you know? And so uh, I heard he bought Puma. So I bought everything in Puma. I've never told this story on a podcast, but I bought everything in Puma. Puma cap, Puma t-shirt, Puma <laughs> underpants, Puma, Puma tracksuit, Puma socks, Puma sneak. I sweat Puma everything, Puma wristband. And I put it on. And a friend told me, he's at, he's at this place right now. So I went down there and I tracked him down and I walked into this gym where he was at. Where he was at. <laughs> and I was possessed with, the vision, with this vision, you know, and the vision was doing a TV show to impact lives and kind of the next Oprah, right? And I walk in, decked out in Puma, and the guy looks at me like, what the hell? He starts laughing. I put my hand on his shoulder and I start pitching him. And he responded, he's like, let's have a meeting. And so, you know, there were certain people that responded. So what I started realizing was people's reaction and response of me and response to me is, reveals more about them than it does about me. They can only see me through their own lens. They can only see me through their own nervous system. They can only see me through the level of their own consciousness and their own conditioning, which really isn't about me. And, and that really freed me up. You know, that really 
that that kind of understanding made a difference. Now, I'm not saying there's not certain moments where it didn't hurt when people would laugh laugh at you and kick you out, kick me out of the room. But that understanding really helped, you know. Often we think that people are seeing us, but many times people aren't seeing us. They're projecting onto us. They're not really seeing us. And when we really understand, they're not seeing me. They're seeing, who knows, their, their dad, their mom, their you know, then we realize that their seeing of us has nothing to do with who we are, has nothing to do with, with your essence, nothing to do with your essence. And that was really powerful for me to just to, to get in my being and getting my in my body and getting my bones. But what also really helped me move through rejection. And let me tell you, I had pitching the TV show. I had I was laughed out of rooms. Literally, I was laughed out of boardrooms. I mean, I mean, it was some of it was bad, and and because I had no experience, I had no TV experience, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so, for me, my focus, and this is what helped me, I was more focused on the vision and the intention of the mission. And because I was so focused on the vision, the intention, and the mission and that desire to impact and inspire people, that that's what moved me through the smaller pain and rejection and resistances that I faced on a ego level, because the intention and the vision that I had of impacting and inspiring lives is what drove me forward. Now, if I wasn't focused on that, then I think the other stuff would have hurt way, way more way more and so you know for anyone that has a vision i would say you know they they they, they say oh you're visionary you're visionary or maybe someone listening you feel like you're visionary you're visionary that dream you have has chosen you for a reason it's chosen you we think oh i chose my vision no, no. the dream the vision chose you because you're the perfect person to fulfill that vision based on everything you've been through, your pain, your trauma, your hurt, your insecurities, your inadequacies, your, everything you've been through has perfectly kind of like sculpted you to be the person, to be the one who is able to see life in a unique way, to hold the vision in a unique way, to speak in only the way that you can speak that certain people around the world need to hear that in only the way that you can speak it, not you know, Oprah or Eckhart Tolle or me, or it, only the way you can speak it because there's people that can only hear it in that way. And so your dream chose you for a reason. And so I think we have to really trust, trust that like, okay, let me, let me trust that. It chose me for a reason and encoded in that dream and vision is also the seed for, for its fulfillment. So if, so, so the dream that you have doesn't belong to you. And for me, this was a freeing idea. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to life. If life chose you and it chose you, it's not yours. It's life's. And if it belongs to life, then life knows how to fulfill itself through you. When I really got that, like, I, I feel this, this vision, I feel it. Then life, do it. You know, I, I'm just going to show up and do my part. Life, do it. And so then our job becomes saying yes to it, you know, really saying yes to that vision. And I think that that that's also a freeing thing, at least for me it was. It's like, okay, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a servant of this vision more than anything. And I think when we when we do that, it shifts something. 
you know, it really shifts something. So if anyone, if you uh, have a dream or vision, trust it and stop expecting or hoping other people will see your dream or vision. They, they're not necessarily meant to see your dream or vision. That's why you've been given the vision and they weren't given the vision. And, and you're the visionary and they're not the visionary. Like you're the visionary and you see it. And so they're not meant to see it. And so one shift that also happened for me is when I stopped going to people to try to see the vision. And because when I go to people to see the vision then I get rejected, I'm like, oh, they're rejected. No, no, no. They're not meant to see the vision. When I really got that, I'm like, they're not meant to see the vision. And, and then I just started focusing on unfolding the vision in my own way and, and, and living the vision and, and demonstrating the vision and creating rather than asking their permission or asking even for them to get it. I just got to the point where I said, I'm just gonna go and create. I'm just going to go and add value. I'm just going to go and serve. I, and they can come along or not come along. It doesn't really matter, you know? And, and so that was a shift more than anything. That's a very powerful perspective shift. It actually, there's a couple things that that reminds me of. One is, um, I don't, it, there's a, a book by Shonda Rhimes called The Year of Yes. And I, I think right now, especially in like Instagram sort of therapy culture, we're being told, you know, say no to the things that aren't serving you. And, and there's definitely value in that too. But when it comes to saying yes to more things, I think that that can be part of the curiosity to see what the universe hands you. And that can be a really easy way to start learning to trust the universe, like say yes, and then see where that yes leads and yes. where the next one leads. And in terms of the, the vision and the vision that life is giving you too, I'm working with a spiritual mentor right now who framed it for me so beautifully. And I want to see if, if you resonate with this. She said, sure. and not to make this like a quantum physics lesson, because I am not a, an expert in quantum <laughs> physics at all, but she said, you know, the, the vision that you have of, of where you're going and, and what you're going to do and all those things. She said, future you has already done all those things and energy that goes out into the universe doesn't die. So you keep feeling it because you keep bumping into that energy because it's already happened. She said, so you, you need to trust that it's going to unfold. And that doesn't mean that I know the exact journey that it's going to take to get to that point, yeah. but you can see the, the bigger picture and then trust in, I think almost more the feeling of that vision, as opposed to, you know, you being just as one example, like hell bent on, on having the TV show. Whereas your path may have unfolded slightly differently, but you're still having, you know, the massive impact that you wanted to have, and, and you're going to continue to grow that. I don't know. I, I, let yeah. me know. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I think it resonates, and and you know, to me, dreams and visions are evolutionary in nature. Mm, yes. And the evolutionary, because the dream will take you on a journey. And the journey it takes you on will force and invite and challenge you to grow and learn along the way. So to me, the benefit or purpose of the dream is not just for its fulfillment. We get, we think, ah, oh, it's for, to fulfill the dream and I failed or succeeded if I do or I don't. The real, the real journey is the journey that the dream takes you on in trying to fulfill it. And many times the, 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 the dream symbolizes the journey you need to go on and who you get to become in the process and 
often when you learn what you need to learn and you become who you need to become in the process, sometimes the dream drops away. Yeah. Sometimes that dream is no longer relevant because you've, you've extracted, you've gotten, you've evolved, you've gotten what you needed to get. And sometimes you needed to have that dream to take you on that journey. And, and, and so sometimes that the, the real purpose of the dream wasn't even to, to, to achieve it, was it needed to be that to go on the journey. And if it wasn't that, you may not have gone on the journey, but you needed to go on the journey in order to become more, in order to become, to evolve so that you can be more prepared and ready to fulfill your destiny over here. You know, and, and, and so so don't get attached to the dream. Mm -hmm. Don't get attached to the vision. Don't get attached to it because sometimes it's just a necessary puzzle piece in your soul's evolution. That's it. And, and, and that's why I say grow and evolve. And I look back like, wow, had I gone on a show, at, you know, in my early 20s and I got on a show, it would have been a disaster, to be honest, because I wasn't ready you know, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you know, psychologically, I, I wasn't ready at the level of maturity. And I'm pretty sure it would have blown up and been a disaster in some way. Where do you go after that? You know, and so I think there's a deeper intelligence. And so sometimes not getting what you want is grace that you can't always see in a moment. Not getting what you want is the love of the universe, is a blessing, is protection. You know, somebody said, yesterday God's rejection is God's protection or something like that and so sometimes not getting what you want is the, really the best thing that can happen and and so I look back because the fact I didn't go down that path that I was sure I wanted to go down took me on another journey a deeper journey a, a more authentic journey it took me to depths of myself that then took me to India, you know, 30 times and traveling the world, studying rabbis and mystics and monks and shamans that took me on, on such a deep journey inside over the years that then helped me birth something completely different, helped me birth a whole uh, deeper way of working with people that I, I'm pretty sure I would not have gone down had, it, had I gone down the path I, I was hell-bent on going down. And so, uh, there's grace, there's intelligence, you know, and, and I think that also prepared me to do what I'm doing now, you know, because on some level, maybe as a young 20 year old kid, I had to burn out some karmic layers of my own egoic tendencies in that process that had to get burnt out pretty fast in my pursuit and forcefulness. And then that allowed me to transition into what I'm doing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love the story that you told in your book too, about being at the airport and not knowing if you were going to go back to the States or if you should oh, fly God, somewhere yeah. else. And then you were going to the different counters and sort of asking oh, oh, what yes, the flight yes. was. And, and then you kept going from counter to counter because nothing was sort of resonating. They'd be like, oh, I have a flight to uh, Peru in six hours. And you're like, no, no, that doesn't feel right. <laughs> I'd love to, for you to share that story if, if you can. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, I, I was beginning to write the book on surrender and I thought, well, I got to I have to live this as much as possible in, 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 in every moment of my life. And I want to do a bit of a 
I don't know if an experiment, but an exploration to see like what the hell happens. And I had finished an event in Bali. I do a 12 day event in Bali twice a year. So I finished that and it was kind of getting towards Christmas time, New Year's time. And I remember I went to see my father for New Christmas. And then I had to fly back to LA for one day to sign some paperwork for a real estate, uh, for a house I was buying at the time. So I flew back for a day then I had to fly to Mexico, to Tulum to finish the project I was doing there for a day. And I said, I'm only gonna stay a day and then I'm gonna come back and I have six to seven days that I don't have to be in LA. And so let me maximize that and, and let me travel somewhere. So as I'm coming back from Mexico, as I'm going to Mexico, I'm thinking, I wanna download of where I'm supposed to go. I wanna get the vision, nothing. I don't get anything, no clue. And then I get back to LAX from, from Tulum, thinking I'm gonna receive some guidance, nothing. So here I am at LAX, landed at Delta. And I thought, well, since I'm at the airport, let me just stroll over to Tom Bradley International, the, the, the international terminal. So I stroll over there and I'm thinking, screw it. Where do I want, where do I want to go? And uh, I went to one counter that was Qantas. They're like, yeah, good day, mate. Uh, it's Australian guy. <laughs> yes. uh, uh, where would you like to go, sir? Uh, I said, I have no idea, but where are you going? Uh, they were going to Brisbane and Sydney. The flight leaves in like three hours. Do you want to buy a ticket? No, no I'll be back. It looks at me a little strange. Let me go to the Philippine Airlines, you know, and flight to Manila leaves in four hours. Uh, you could buy it. It's $800. Nope. I go to probably five, six Korea, five, six counters. I don't have a clue where I'm going. I don't have the guidance. I go to, to Thai Air. Where are you going? We're going to Bangkok. I'm like, I've been to Bangkok a lot on my travels to India. I don't want to go there. And I felt this alignment. Fly there. So I don't want to go back there. I just, I literally two days ago came from Asia. Now I don't want to fly. I, you know, it's a long flight, 24 hours. Came from Asia. Two days later, going back to Asia to somewhere I've been to many times. Okay. I got the plane, went to Asia, one-way ticket. To, to, to Thailand, figuring once I, by the time I get to Thailand, I'll have the download of where I'm supposed to go. I arrive in Bangkok, go through immigration, waiting for the download, no download. I'm like, damn. I stay one night, wake up, I'm going to get the guidance, nothing. All I hear is go to Bali. Now I'm scratching my head thinking, but three days ago, I was just in Bali. <laughs> it's this crazy, this is like madness, right? <laughs> madness. I'm like, I'm going to go back to Bali. Wow. See, sometimes things don't make sense in the moment. But, but even timing, the divine timing, sometimes the universe needs to move us in certain places to rearrange life and the chess pieces in a certain way. Yet if we force it, then sure, maybe you end up somewhere, but the timing's not right, or the door's not open, or the person's not there, right? And so I end up in Bali have no idea why the hell I'm here, a little perplexed. My taxi, my, my driver taxi guy picks me up. He's like, you're back already. Why are you here? I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> and it was New Year's Eve. So I went to this New Year's Eve party. I left within an hour, walking in the rice fields, looking at the sky, going, God, why do you have me here? The next day, I'm about to go to this, uh, to get to get some fish from my favorite restaurant in, in Ubud. And the same nudging says, don't go there, go to this vegan restaurant. I don't want vegan food, but it felt a line. I walk into this vegan restaurant, it's two tables. 
one for six people, one for two people, the place is packed. They seat me by myself at the sixth table uh, where, where, where they have a table for six. I'm thinking, well, this is really strange. I'm one person at a table for six, but fair enough. I'm sitting here going, I put my journal down and I said, universe, I'm not leaving here until I get some guidance because I have no freaking idea why I'm here, but I'm going to wait until <laughs> you guide me. And I'm sitting there, an hour goes by, two hours go by, I'm journaling. A guy walks through the restaurant in the middle of like Bali in the jungle, basically. And my eyes pop open because this was a guy who was a media mogul who I had been trying to connect with forcefully, like, like the other people I'd been connecting with, like knocking on doors and going to their offices. I'd been trying to connect with this guy 10 years ago. No luck, no luck. Everyone says, you need to connect with this guy. You're going to do stuff with this guy. I'm like, I'm trying. And walk straight through the door by himself in the middle of Bali. I'm thinking this, this, I already gave up trying to even get in touch with this guy. Now, 10 years later, here he is, walks through the door, walks in and walks out because there's no seats. Now I'm thinking, should I run after him? Should I not? So, let me just sit. I'm going to just sit at the table and wait. And this woman comes to me, taps me on the shoulder and says, can I sit here? Because we're trying to find some seats. She sits here, calls the guy. He sits right next to me. She's right here. Her sitting there, he sits right next to me. Her and I struck up a conversation. He says, leave the guy alone. Him and I start talking. We struck up a conversation for three hours. And he says, why are you in Bali? And I explained to him, well, I was here. I just came back but I think it's for you and I to connect. And I tell him the story and he says, yes, we need to do stuff together. Here's my cell phone. He leaves the restaurant, texts text me and he says, this is so-and-so, it's God's plan. Now, that's not even quite the end of the story. That was already like, my mind is blown. Like, okay, universe, you have a mysterious way of working. His assistant now walks in halfway into the conversation. He leaves, he's like, wow, that was a really cool conversation with you and so-and-so, oh my God, da, 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 da. you know, I give us some guidance. And she's like, why are you here? I'm like, I have no idea. Where do you go next? I have no idea. She's like, if you ever go to Hong Kong, um, I have a friend in Hong Kong that you should really meet. I'm like, get my cell phone. <laughs> I say, to her, I'm going to Hong Kong. Okay, here's my friend's info. That night, I'm in Hong Kong. Next morning, she messages me, did you meet my friend? I call a friend. I meet the guy. He's like, why are you here? I'm like, I have no freaking idea. I'm just here maybe to meet you. And we start talking. Turns out he's this media mogul in Hong Kong. And he's like, anything you need, whatever you need, I, 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 I'm with you. I'll support you. We can make things happen. And he's like, there's someone you should meet. I'm like, okay. Ah, she's this actress. Da, 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 but you should meet her. Actress. I'm from L.A. I mean, I, I hear actress. I just zone out. I'm like, I, I don't even <laughs> want to meet that. And, and, and so... I'm like, okay, because I'm in this process of just saying yes to the universe. Next thing you know, I get, an, I get a text from this, this woman, an address, an address, someone's house. She doesn't know me. I'm, I'm being invited. So I, I end up in this weird apartment, knock on the door. I walk in. I say hi. I see that she has an Indian guru on a picture on her table. I'm like, you know, I used to, I'm in the middle of Hong Kong seeing this Indian guru picture. Right. I'm thinking... I used to have dreams of that guru when I was a kid. How do you know, how do you know him? She goes, oh, that's my guru. We strike up a conversation. She becomes like, honestly, a dear sister to me. Like, 
like oh soul sister. And now I'm counseling her on her relationship issues with her boyfriend because she has no idea that, you know, this is kind of my field and coaching and healing. And she has no idea, but she was about to break up with this guy. And now I'm counseling her and, and she's seeing all of her patterns and, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm, yeah, I'm not going to break up. And I'm going to send. And three hours later, we probably spent six, seven hours together. Three hours later, she's like, why are you here, by the way, in Hong Kong? Why are you in Hong Kong? I'm like, I have no freaking idea. And she looks at me and she says, um, you know, uh, 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 do you ever want to do things in China? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've wanted to do stuff in China and write books and, you know, um, and because I, I had visions of doing big events in China. And she looks at me, she says, oh, well, you know, I, you know, I live in China. I'm like, oh, cool. I'm an actress. I'm like, oh, yeah, cool, cool. What else? And, and no, she goes, no, I'm a, I'm a, I do pretty well in China. I'm like, okay. She goes, no, I want to help you. I'm like, cool, fine, fine. And I just keep brushing off. She's like, you don't understand. I'm like, what? Don't I understand? She says, I, I, I was the lead in the biggest grossing movie in the history of China and actually the world. I'm like, what? This is like. You know, <laughs> and want to support you. I don't know, feel this connection. And tomorrow, her boyfriend is coming. So I'm going to get to meet her. I was going to get to meet her boyfriend. And she's like, I want you to meet him. We want to help you with your work, China. And turns out he's like the Tom Cruise of China, you know. And so it was just weird, crazy connection. And we all fell in love. They got married. I mean, so Aww. anyway, this, this, this whole synchronicity. Oh of, of, of life you know of life and unfolding and the perfection of life and so you just never know you just never know why something is and I think it's so great when you don't make assumptions and you just remain open and life and allow life to lead you to me this is surrender we sometimes think that to surrender is weak to surrender is passive that if you surrender you you won't get to where you need to get to if you surrender you won't manifest but i'm actually saying if you surrender like what if you got more and and when you truly surrender then you're truly available you're truly open to the infinite possibilities because you're not strangling life or forcing life to fit some idea of how you think it should be to me this is this is where the magic can happen and we all want magic but we often don't want to surrender you know, and, and so I think surrender is the password to the magic. Surrender is the password to the freedom and the next level. Oh, I'm so glad I asked you that story because you told me so much more than what's in I the gave book. The real, I gave I you the real, I gave you the real story. Because, you know, in the book, if I tell the whole story about every story, <laughs> like a whole it's going to be, it's going to be an entire thing. But there were so many elements of the oh story. Oh my Because like, I was just, on that story, I was just literally just saying yes to anything if someone said, give me your wallet, I probably would have just given it to them. I'm going to say yes to everything and everything. I love this so much. And I, and this, you know, travel obviously is only one, one minuscule example of, of surrendering, but I'm all about the, the one-way plane ticket and then seeing where things take me because yeah, it's, it's incredible what can happen when life, you roll that life, way. Life. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. So we're going to start wrapping up, but I wanted to share that I am very particular about who I bring on my oh. podcast and I delete, uh, I literally delete like the, the PR pitch emails that I get pitching mm. guests. Mm. I don't even read most of them. And wow. because I I'm so particular that I handpick like each person and 
to full disclosure, I had never heard of you. I did not, I was not familiar with your work. I did not know who you were. And for some reason, when your team's email landed uh. in there, I was like, oh, I feel like I want to read this one. And I've been tuning into my intuition significantly more in the last like six to 12 months, especially. Wow. And so I listened to it a lot more and something was like, oh, you need to open this one. So I opened it and I, I still, I had no idea who you were. I'm like, okay, I'll click around. I'll see who this guy is. And I started reading some of your stuff and I was like, yeah, I think, I think he seems pretty cool. And something was telling me like, yes, you need to do this one. You, wow. you need to accept this one. You might only be the second pitch I've ever accepted in like over 300 episodes. Wow. And yeah. And, and I just, I really connected with your work right away. As soon as I started your book, I'm like, oh my God, he has a book about surrender. I'm like, this is meant to be <laughs> <laughs> something that I have done a lot of work around the last couple of years. And it has presented to me even more, uh, especially in the last couple of months. So I felt that this was incredibly aligned and I'm so glad that, uh, that I listened to my intuition. I let the yes guide me. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I'm, I'm honored. Thank you for having me on. Oh my gosh. Thank you. This has been amazing. I want to hear about, um, I know that your book is coming out in paperback version May 3rd, on yeah. May 3rd. May 3rd. And you also are running a seminar that I believe if you buy the book, then you get the seminar. Yeah. Yeah. May, May, May the 3rd, the paperback book comes out. So everyone check it out, get it, share it with your friends. Uh, May the 7th, I'm doing a very special three-hour virtual online seminar called Reinvent Live, all about reinventing yourself and connecting to your truth and living your purpose. It's going to be really powerful, three hours, deep diving, pure content. I want everyone to be there. So yes, if you buy the book, the paperback book, pre-order it before May the, May the 1st, <clears throat> um, you get to come to the seminar as a part of that experience where I'll break down the concepts in the book and go deeper on many other topics. So people can go to www.kutblackson.com forward slash reinvent seminar. So kutblackson.com forward slash reinvent seminar. Okay. I'll make sure to reference that in the show notes too, for anybody who's, who's looking for it and all the places to find you uh, really quick. What's your Instagram handle? Uh, just, yeah. My name, Coop Blackson. Perfect. Say hi. Yeah, awesome. So. Awesome. And I always just wrap up with one last question. If you could give people just, since this is the room to grow podcast, if you could give people one piece of advice, I know it's always hard to narrow down one, but this is why I ask it <laughs> on growing into the best possible version of themselves. What would it be? One piece of advice. Um, you can only pick one. <laughs> I don't know if, if it's advice or it's a statement to consider. I, I like that too. I, we, we take statements here. <laughs> I would remind people of what we already know by saying you are going to die. Mm -hmm. You're going to die. We all die. There's no escape. Surrender to the fact that this body, this, this form, the incarnation of you will die. I think if you can really embrace that, embrace your death and not resist it, it starts freeing you up to live life fully. Jesus died, Buddha died, Gandhi died, Mother Teresa died, you know, Bruce Lee died, Mandela. I mean, we will all die. There's no escape. And I think so many of us, we live like we have forever. We live like we've got tomorrow. You know, the people in 9-11 had no idea they weren't going to come home that night and look their loved ones in the eyes once more and say, hey, I love you or I'm sorry. And so if there's something you're holding back or something you want to give or something you want to say, all I'll say is don't wait because... This is the only moment that's guaranteed, you know, ultimately do it now, love it now, speak it now, 
and live in such a way that when that moment comes, you have no regrets. No, the, oh, and this is a side note, but the only regret I have in my life is that I didn't spend enough time with my mother. And I didn't love her. I mean, I loved her a lot, but that I, that, there were so many more things I wanted to do with her and show her, but I was busy because I thought other shit was important. And it's the only re regret I have. And I call it a sacred uh, regret, you know? And so I just invite people to, to really sit with that, meditate on your death, you're gonna die. So how do you wanna live? with no regrets. Yeah, it's the best tool against procrastination, both of, of like doing tasks and of telling people that you love them and spending time with the people who matter most and, and all of those things. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Thank you so much, Coot. I so, much. so appreciate you. This has been amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. It means the absolute world to me and I'm so grateful. For any references in the episode and all show notes, be sure to jump over to roomtogrowpodcast.com. And if this episode touched your heart, it would mean so much if you would take a quick second to hit subscribe, write a review and share on social media or with someone who really needs to hear today's message. It makes such a difference to keep this podcast going so I can continue to bring you amazing content and absolutely incredible guests. Be sure to tag me over on Instagram at Emily Goff Coach so that I can thank you in real time for listening and connect with you. We're back every Tuesday and Thursday with new episodes and I'm looking forward to growing with you.